Nyata, hello. It's Alison here and I'm the pastor at Sanctuary. We're based on Peak Warren Country in Warrnambool. Today I'm reflecting on one of the earliest descriptions of the gathered church. The writer describes how they devoted themselves to the teaching and the common life, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. All came upon everyone at the signs and wonders being performed in their midst. For all who believed were together and had all things in common. And through the selling up of property, people's basic needs were being met. Day by day, as they spent time together at the temple and in private homes, they shared food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, God added to their number those who were being liberated. And you can find the full text in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Now, whenever I hear this passage, I feel a cool and refreshing breeze blow through me. Imagine the Holy Spirit roaring into town and creating hundreds of new disciples. Imagine animated tables of friends and strangers sharing generous and joyful meals. Imagine a passionate prayer life, a deep engagement with God, a trust in things beyond private wealth. Imagine a world in which lives are shared and everyone's needs are met. It's a vision of a community which meets our deepest human longings for connection with God and one another. And it's a vision of faith and economics and the fellowship of the table being integrated in life-giving ways. But sadly, it's an incarnation very rarely seen in the church. The thief comes only to steal and destroy, says Jesus. He's talking to controlling leaders who act as gatekeepers and who suck the life out of everything. And his words ring just as true now as then. By contrast, he adds, I came that they may have life and have it in abundance. And you'll find his words in John chapter 10. Now the Acts 2 community gives us a glimpse of this free and flourishing life, this abundant life, which is known by all who place their trust in Jesus. It's not the only expression of this life. In the book of Acts, we see what will one day come to be known as a church, spreading and diversifying and taking on various shapes and forms. We see it meeting in the temple and also gathering in private homes. We see it firmly ensconced in Judaism and also operating as a new sect. We see it incarnated in a Gentile household and in radically mixed groups. We see it in a group of women who meet down by the river, in a community grieving the death of a beloved seamstress, in big male energy street preaching teams, and in small cells of prisoners in chains. In diverse ways and places, with different combinations of freedom and constraint, groups of disciples bear witness to the life that death cannot hold, and they perform many signs and wonders. In Acts chapter 2, the signs and wonders seem to be these. Radical economic transformation, rapid numerical growth, and the goodwill of the wider community. For those of us limping along in our little context, it could sound exciting. 
but it might also feel disheartening where you might ask are our signs and wonders. Where is our radical economics, our numerical growth? And do we have the goodwill of the whole community? I don't know. But I do know that the signs and wonders we see in Acts 2 are not the means, but the end. In other words, they're the fruit, and they're the fruit of a dynamic faith which is shaped by four key practices. As we see in the rest of Acts, the outcomes of these practices are diverse. Not every Acts community has a common purse. Not every group sees 3,000 converts in a single day. Not every mob has a banqueting hall or the goodwill of all those around them. Instead, the flourishing life which marks the presence of the risen Christ takes multiple shapes and forms. But there are common threads, common practices, which run through them all. First, as we see here in Acts 2, this resurrection life is grounded in the Apostles' teaching. A Jesus-centred faith is not just a feeling, nor a vague and amorphous sense of spirituality, nor is it a flat reading of everything in the Bible, as if that were possible anyway. Instead, it's rooted in Scripture as it relates to Jesus. We see this in Acts 1 and 2, where Hebrew scriptures are being interpreted through the lens of his life, death and resurrection. And we saw it last week on the road to Emmaus, where the risen Christ himself interprets only those scriptures which relate to him. All law and prophecy, all poetry and story, all history and proverbs and psalms, are seen through the lens of Jesus. And so, for example, the law forbidding a Jew from eating with a Gentile no longer applies, because Jesus ate with outcasts and declared all foods clean. The law forbidding contact with a corpse no longer applies, because Jesus held a dead girl's hand and raised her to new life. The law excluding someone with surgically altered genitals no longer applies because the gate is wide open to anyone who recognises Jesus' voice. The law limiting the contribution of women no longer applies because Jesus names women as ministers and he makes them apostles, the first witnesses to the resurrection. And the law rejecting those who engage in gay sex or many other activities no longer applies. Because Jesus says that those who come through him will be saved. And he makes no exceptions. Later in Acts, this all becomes reality. As Cornelius, Tabitha, the Ethiopian eunuch, Lydia and so many, many others are welcomed into the fold. And it happens because the disciples devote themselves to scripture with Jesus as the interpretive lens. Disciples also devote themselves to the common life. In other words, a dynamic faith is a shared faith. There's nothing wrong with personal prayer, of course, and Jesus himself frequently went to a quiet place to pray. But this is not enough. Jesus promises to be present whenever two or more people are gathered in his name, sharing their lives with each other. And so indeed we gather. 
Here in Acts 2, we see it in the extreme. Thousands of converts are being folded into the new community. And they aren't second-class citizens. Instead, they are welcomed into the flock. And they devote themselves to the collective with all its life, work and witness. And they devote themselves to other members, no matter how different or diverse they seem. They share their lives, their possessions, their homes, their money and their dinner tables. And in doing so, they learn to live with and love one another. This common life witnesses to a powerful and generous hospitality, which brings me to a third discipleship practice, the breaking of bread. Because a Jesus-centered faith is not limited to ideas or scripture or even the gospel stories. It's also about bodies in relationship and things of the earth. Grain from the fields, grapes from the vine, water from the rock or the well. So disciples devote themselves to a practice in which the things of the earth are shared. This can take ritual form as they share bread and wine together and embody the story of Jesus' Last Supper. As we see in Acts 2, it can also happen at mealtimes, when gifts of the earth are gathered, prepared, blessed and shared to feed hungry human bodies at the table. It can happen at a food relief program, as we see in Acts chapter 6, or at a community meal, or wherever that which earth has given and human hands have made is blessed and shared with others. One way or another, Disciples devote themselves to the breaking of bread with glad and generous hearts. Last but not least, disciples devote themselves to the prayers. In Acts 2, the community gathers daily for prayer because it knows how important it is. They've just witnessed the Holy Spirit set people's heads on fire. They've known awe and excitement at the loosening of people's tongues. They've experienced the breath of liberation and the sting of forgiveness, and they've made a whole heap of new friends. They've seen that prayer is exciting, energizing, enlivening, and catalyzing. It makes things happen. It changes people's hearts, and it brings folk together into community. And so in homes and at the temple, they gather daily for corporate prayer because they are hungry, so very hungry for more. Indeed, they devote themselves to the prayers. And that's pretty much it. Jesus-centered teaching, the common life, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. When disciples devote themselves to these foundational practices, they see an explosion of life. In Acts 2, it takes the shape of a common purse and economic justice and shared meals, and a generous hospitality, and the goodwill of all the people. In other stories, it takes on different form, but it all points to abundant life. It points to green pastures. And I wonder, what if we here at Sanctuary devoted ourselves to these things? I mean, not just in a hit-and-miss way, but really devoted ourselves. Last Sunday, just six people turned up for worship, three of them dependents. And any desire we once said we had for additional Bible studies, meals and prayers seems to have almost entirely evaporated. 
we're traveling, we're working, we're studying, we're rehearsing, we're recovering from our busy lives. Indeed, there are so many ways in which all of us can and do choose to spend our time. But what if we made these four devotions our priority? What if gathering with other disciples and engaging with the teachings, the common life, the meals and corporate prayer was the first thing in our diary and the steady centre of our lives? What awe would we experience? What signs and wonders would we know? Or perhaps our hearts would crack open with generosity and gladness. Perhaps newness and abundance would characterise our lives. Perhaps our deepest longings for God and community would be powerfully and wonderfully fulfilled. My friends, I ask these questions because sanctuary is at a crossroads. We are challenged by changing times and by culture and money and capacity. We do not know the way forward, although tonight's reading offers some pretty clear signposts. So on Sunday the 4th of June, during the usual service time, we will hold a conversation regarding Sanctuary's future. Please join us as we seek to discern the wind of the Spirit and wonder what God has in store for us next. There's always more to read on our website, that's sanctuarybaptist.org. This week you'll find an opportunity to reflect on two disciples' encounter with Jesus on the road and the freedom Jesus offers to close the door on him. Sanctuary is funded entirely by members and supporters, and if you'd like to support this work and these reflections, you can make a donation via PayPal, and you'll find the details for this on the website. To those who already support us financially, thank you so much. It makes a huge difference. And of course, if you too are being hammered by rising prices and corporate greed, please don't. Just keep listening and receiving the very good news. This reflection was prepared on the lands of the Pequoring people of the Eastern Ma Nation, a land which was taken by force and has never been ceded. With the autumn rains, Bower spinach has taken off and is now tumbling over our front wall. The big winds have returned and thunder has been rumbling through the sky. The peace of the land, earth, sea and sky be with us all. Amen.